when the human mind started getting into looking at screens, a lot of things changed. And if you look, I, I like to study the period between um, 1879 and 1929, because that's the beginning of the industrial age. And it's also the beginning of media in various forms, the beginning of motion pictures, uh, recorded sound, and a number of things that, that changed then. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangel. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Randall Libero. There's no doubt that podcasting is the new frontier when it comes to creating a brand and being known as an authority in your field. It really is amazing how this area of media production is booming. And my next guest is on the forefront of that, especially when it comes to audio drama. He's a producer, online media authority, speaker, and radio TV host who for more than 30 years has been creating original productions for network and independent television, broadcast news, and online media. He's one of the first true internet producers and has developed and produced thousands of hours of online radio and TV programs. His career began as a cameraman, editor, and a producer of TV pilots, documentaries, TV talk shows, and commercials in Los Angeles during the 1980s. In the 1990s, he created the first online media research facility and historical news archive for the U.S. State Department's International Bureau of Broadcasting. He switched to the world of journalism, writing international breaking news for CBS Radio and AOL Time Warner. Today, he currently co-produces a dramatic podcast, Maryland Behind the Icon, at BehindTheIcon.com, and believes dramatic audio storytelling is at the inception phase of a very expansive future. His name is Randall Libero, and if you want to learn more about what it takes to have a successful podcast and media empire of your own, this will be the interview for you. Thank you for coming on the show today, Randall. I so appreciate your making the time. And I love that you have a really wide and varied experience with media in general, but certainly the expertise to know how sound affects all of that. And I'm really looking forward to having a deeper conversation about that. But I wanted to start off with a question about your earliest memory of how sound moved you. Do you have one of those? Sure. Um... My grandfather had a wire recorder. Ooh. So this is before tape recorders. This, these were manufactured from 1947 to 1955 and sold to consumers in the United States. And they're a very rare item. I actually still have it. Wow. And at seven years old, he's, you know, everyone, the family was gathered around. And, and my grandfather said, you know, bringing everybody up, my brother saying, you know, go away, little girl, by Steve Lawrence, and, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And I get the microphone. I said, give me the microphone. And he wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> and, I, and I said, oh, just, just say who you are. And I said, no, give me the microphone. I want to hold the microphone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my earliest memory of sound in the wire recorder. And actually, I still have, I still have that, that spool of wire. That's great. With my voice on it when I was seven years old. And um, it's funny. And my dad's going, you know, next, next, like the next person on. <laughs> you know, like we were doing a little show, you know. So so oh, all of that wonderful. was, and my grandfather was very much into photography. So I learned a lot about media from my granddad. And um, 
really, you know, had to take pictures. He was taking pictures with an old Polaroid camera. We still have some of those. So yeah, that's my first memory of, of that. And then also I would say um, just a few years later, because of that experience, uh, my parents bought me um, a tape recorder for Christmas, a little oh. reel-to-reel, mini reel-to-reel tape recorder. Wow. And I went nuts with that. <laughs> I just went all over, recorded every birds, you know, me talking, my friends talking, the TV, you know, all that stuff. So me reading comic books, doing voices, <laughs> you know, what would Captain America sound like? You know, you know, that kind of thing. Perfect. And, uh, you know, those are some of my earliest memories of sound. But really, um, a big experience for me is when I was five years old, I almost drowned. Oh. And my dad saved me and pulled me out. And And after that experience something in me changed and and i i started to see things differently and and that was a that was a big influence on my life you know when when people have they talk about these experiences being you know close to death or near death experiences things things change and that happened when i was five so you just started experiencing life yeah. more vividly and is that yeah, yeah all of that and yeah. and i always you know that uh, those kinds of experiences for me and for people, you know, they're, they're, they're a marking point in, in your life. And so that was, Definitely, that was a big yeah. one for me. And a lot changed after that in the way I saw things and saw myself, especially. Yeah. That's quite the experience. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a young age, which I guess is, I mean, it's not a good thing to have a near death experience, but it's a good thing to certainly appreciate your life at a young age. <laughs> Yeah. And, and back then I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life as a young kid? And the one thing I really liked that I became really fascinated with was, um, with, was movies because they showed old movies on television. Like, uh, you know, they used to call it the million, million dollar movie in New York that happened at eight o'clock every night. And the first film that I became obsessed with was King Kong. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that was a really, in terms of film, that was a marking point in so many ways in cinema, both in special effects, storytelling in a way where they went back to mythology and Beauty and the Beast, but also the soundtrack, Max, Max Steiner's soundtrack was really the first real fr- film score that was done like modern film scores that we know today, was, mm-hmm. that, was that score. And I started studying music. And sound effects, because, you know, we know everything in that film, I knew, well, King Kong was not real, but how did they do it? So I became really interested in the technical parts of movies and then, of course, photography and other things. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you were first drawn into the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. I, de- I definitely think that fits. <laughs> mm-hmm. If there's more you want to add, though, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that you graduated from, you know, watching King Kong to other Oh yeah. Other well, I mean, other things that anything that involved the imagination, um, mm-hmm. any any kind of story or TV show, and there were some great ones. I mean, you know, I became a teenager in 1968, so that was when I was 12 years old. And uh, but before that, I was watching. I was a really different kind of a kid. I felt I was different because I was into things that even my friends weren't into. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Such watching as? The Outer <laughs> Limits, you know, okay. on television. Okay. I mean, I, I love that show. There. Yeah. And, you know, some Twilight Zone and things like that, you know, the mm-hmm. anthology type storytelling. And, of course, Star Trek and all that. But we were, mm-hmm. we were watching the space program. So the space travel and what we saw on TV was like, okay, well, we're going to get that in about 20, 30, 40 years or something. You know, but right mm-hmm. now, you know, we'll, we're looking at this. So it was, a, it was an amazing time uh, of, you know, new things, of 
you know, storytelling through corporate media, of course, be, before, you know, what we have today. So people don't remember that. You know, one of the things I was listening to your other episodes and um, Steve Keller. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. was on i heard his his show and he's talking about what they're doing with sound today mm-hmm. and i would i would put myself in a different category um the the ideas what he was talking about in terms of marketing i mean what they're doing today is brilliant uh, what they're looking at but they're mostly from the perspective of marketing they're looking at i would say a form of manipulation and when I look at what I do, and the reason why I do what I do, and my, my mission here as a producer is more of an enhancement mm-hmm. or, or growth or expansion of human beings and human consciousness. So that's how I see what I do and what, you know, why I do what I do. So how did you get drawn into journalism and media then? Because I know that that's where you went from the entertainment business, right? Um, for a job. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was a good thing. Yeah, it was a good thing. I moved to Virginia when I was in my early 30s, and my brother was working at ABC News cutting Nightline. Mm-hmm. And, um, and eventually I was in corporate media with Ernst & Young Communication Service when they were in Reston. And then um, through a girlfriend, I got a job at the U.S. State Department in the media division. And it was in their historical research archive. I became like a media archivist. And I was in charge of this library of tapes that were in a basement when I started. Okay. And uh, I brought them and made it a state-of-the-art facility and, and added an online database, the very first one. So it was a historical video archive of news feeds, pool feeds from all over the world and all different news services. And I had people from the Diplomatic Corps and the Pentagon coming in and doing research, historical research and video. And um, I, met, I met a lot of amazing people. And through that, you know, that was what they were doing a, a, a news show that was in Spanish that was aimed at Castro in, in uh, called TV Marti. Mm-hmm. And I also work for WorldNet TV. And people may know the Voice of America, uh, that as well. That was a division of, of the U- U.S. Information Agency, which is now called the Broadcasting Bureau of Governors. So all of that, um, you know, was part of the 1990s period of my life. Mm-hmm. And then when I came out to um, Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, my early career was in Los Angeles and in, in, during the 1980s, late 70s and early 80s. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., Washington, as I said. And <clears throat> so, I, you know, everything happening in Washington, you get pulled into the whole thing going on there with everything that's going on because it's all about that. And I found myself learning all sorts of things that I didn't know before. Um, things you wanted to know or things you didn't uh, want to know? (laughs) A lot of things I didn't want to know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to go into that part of what I found out about, you know, what our presidents and are really doing and things like Mm -hmm. that. Because I came in the latter Bush Sr. and the Clintons. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, get into that. Um, (laughs) Which, yeah, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, you (laughs) find out, yeah, you find out, you find out things, (laughs) well, you find out things and you kind of like, Really? And, and mm-hmm. being on the inside, you hear things years and years before um, mm. they come out in, in the real world. So that's one of the, you know, dealing with information like that. And then when I came out to um, Phoenix, Arizona, where I live now, I got a job at um, writing for CBS Radio and AOL. The, I used to write the front page news for AOL for, mm-hmm. um, you know, for like six months at a time. <laughs> 
Uh, so people wake up in the morning, they see the news. You know, I wrote most of that. Um, basically, right. it's taking international breaking news and putting it into a forum that was fitting, you know, for, for the format that was on AOL. So well, it's was, actually a format they're using all over now, right? Like, yeah, it was early. That? Yeah, and I actually knew one of the guys who founded um, AOL because uh, mm -hmm. when I lived in Chantilly, Virginia, they were part of the church that I went to, the Unity Church. And we, we knew, you know, and he said, you want to work? We want to work at AOL? And I said, mm, nah, no thanks. <laughs> no. So, um, you know, because I, you know, I was involved in doing um, a lot of different things, you know, doing film work and, and corporate video and all of that. And my interest was there. And, and I was working on a concert, which was the first international satellite broadcast concert. I, I did a short film for that. And, you know, things like that. I was more interested you know, in the environment and all that. Sure. So I got into all those kinds of things. But all throughout this is in the background has been, for me, um, a study about the effect of media on human consciousness. It's an interesting study. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, really, it's really drawn me into some, and I've done actually talks on this. I did my first talk in 2011 uh, up in Sedona. Looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio branding strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website. And I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious then, because like you've seen a lot of this change. So yeah. what changes have you seen? I mean, it's got to be astronomical. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it really goes, but you have to look at, when we look at storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, you have to think of when, when did storytelling change? And how did it change? Well, I'll tell you, um, the things that changed for me, and I'll give you my side of it, is, and I was talking about 1968, and there was a movie that came out that year that's probably, everybody knows what it is, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that was the first movie that really broke a major part of cinematic storytelling form. It was a mostly a non-linear type of movie where you put the movie together and you interpreted the film the way that you wanted to. So that was a big change. And you have to understand, um, when the human mind started getting into looking at screens, a lot of things changed. And if you look, I, I like to study the period between um, 1879 and 1929 because that's the beginning of the industrial age, and it's also the beginning of media in various forms, the beginning of motion pictures, uh, recorded sound, and a number of things that, that changed then. So the way that people reacted to stories really changed in that period, you know, greatly. 
and the introduction of sound to motion pictures was a big marking point. I'm a big fan of studying um, the silent era because when films first started, if you look at if you look at the early films of directors in the silent era, you know some of the great directors, beginning with George Melier. I mean, back when what he did and how to just put images on, make them move, and you know he was the creator of special effects and motion pictures. And you look at the early directors like D.W. Griffith and King Vidor and people like that who made films that no one had ever done that before. You know, Chaplin, the way you told stories and all of that. So this was all, a, it, this was a brand new medium. And if you look at silent movies, the camera's all over the place. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> everywhere. It's moving around. It's doing things. I mean, if you watch films like Abel Gantz's Napoleon or you look at, um, um, you know, films of that era, uh, they did things, putting cameras on trucks and moving them everywhere. But when sound came in, the camera got locked down and you were on mm. stages. And it was like film stage, stage plays from like 1929 to like 1935. It was like a drawing room. You know, movies became until directors started, you know, wanting to, well, let's move the camera. And you, I mean, it weighed a ton, but they figured out tracks and all the other stuff. So that sure. when sound came in, you had this big lockdown where the freedom of the way that stories were told changed really dramatically. And sound became ultra important in terms of the experience because you had to put all that imagination back into the story. And what they did is they had they, they used the soundtrack. Yeah. So how does um, Showboat fit into that? Because that was 1929, wasn't it? Showboat? I what, think, what yeah. You? Um, well, because Showboat, I think, was the first movie that Foley worked on, I believe. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of films. There were there were films back in the silent era where they were partially sound, like yeah. the and I think this was 1926 or seven version of Mysterious Island. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the film was partially sound, and like halfway through the movie, all of a sudden people start talking. It's like whoa. So they were <laughs> they were experimenting with things like that. So they were films yeah. that were that were you know sound was part of it at certain sequences. And, you know, and films where they would have just the, just the song, just the music was sound because they recorded it and dropped it in and all that. Yeah, but if you look at movies like Singing in the Rain, you see that, um, you know, that whole, it was so different in what they had to do and how they had to record that all that freedom of movement, and that changed storytelling. But where, where, the, where the real change was, that everybody kind of doesn't remember this, but I do because I've looked at these early you know, when the persistence of vision in, in stories and how people started reacting to screens, there's a famous piece of footage, um, which has actually been restored into its proper timing, so you can see how people really moved in real time, of a train coming into a station. And this was like the first time people even saw things up on the screen. And when that was first shown, it was at this, it was at this angle coming into, you know, on screen where they filmed it from the, the platform and the train comes in and it kind of goes to the left of the of your view. People looked at that and they thought the train was coming into the theater and they were going to get hit by it. And they oh. ran out of the theater <laughs> screaming. Oh, wow. They thought it was real. Uh-huh. Until people became acclimated to looking at things on a screen. And I find that really, really interesting because the brain had not adapted to what screens were so stories stories were by you you it was communication through the spoken word and through art you learn stories through the great art when you look at a statue and you or a painting you create the this part of the story in your imagination 
it's very much like sound when you hear like what I do, a dramatic podcast. A lot of the stories in your imagination. When movies came in, most of that was shown to you. Was that part of it was taken away? Um, so, you know, sound became really, really important. And most of movies today, even today, are 70, 75% sound. I mean, you take any movie and turn the sound off, and it's like you're bored. Yeah. You're bored. It's not the same thing. Yeah, it's Definitely. completely yeah. different. The emotional context is completely gone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All of that is all of that is gone. So when you talk about storytelling and drama, and, and now that you have all the storytelling now being done with audio, and we'll get to that in a moment, mm. um, you really have to remember how culture and how even the brains of audiences change and how they're continuing to change with all this now we have more we have screens everywhere i mean we go throughout the day looking from screen to screen to screen and not using our imagination as much so i'm a big proponent of audio because you turn the screen off you're not looking at a screen you're you're in your own mind and your imagination and um but all throughout cinema, and I'm going to get into cinema just for a minute here. <laughs> sure, yeah. I was going to ask important. you about television, yeah, too. Yeah, it's important. That's, yeah. yeah, because if you look at directors or storytellers that change the form, you know, I would think, I would classify King Kong in there as well, of course, but then Citizen Kane in 2001 oh, yeah. A Space Odyssey. Sure. And then a lot of the European directors in the 1950s and the 1960s in France and Italy. And, you know, there was a big period of experimental cinema experimental storytelling um and then there are you know there are all all sorts of other films that you can put in i mean i can list a whole bunch of these things well i mean star wars would be one of mine well like, before star wars there was oh, a film before, yeah yes, i'm but, talking about before star wars yeah um i think the film that really affected me after 2001 that really started to open my mind up to the possibility of how to tell a story was a russian film by andrei tarkovsky called solaris Okay. Came out in 1972. It's a science fiction movie about a journey to a planet, and the planet is actually a living being. Oh, and okay. and it's a really fascinating movie. It's a very the film is told in in terms of how it how it goes through time. It's sort of a it's a loop in time, in like a loop within a loop, and how the story is told. So I mean, you know, you really not a lot of people like movies like that. They're very different. They're very <laughs> challenging to watch because you yeah, really they take have a little to more work. Effort. Yeah, they're more intellectual. Mm -hmm. But I'm just talking about these films as marking points. So I saw when I moved out to L.A., I saw it a retrospective in 1976, early 77. I saw Solaris for the first time, and I went, "Wow!" And then just a few months later, Star Wars came out. Mm -hmm. So the form changed in terms of storytelling to the mass public through they went back to the mythological formulaic structure because star wars was so popular and hollywood said well we're just going to keep doing that because oh, that's what's that's what's that's making what money <laughs> right that's what's yeah. making money <laughs> yeah so that was you really have to look at that film as a marking point in a lot of different ways in terms of telling stories mm -hmm. so you know that kind of those things you have to uh, really for me make a big you know, impact on what I do because, you know, there's, there's a knot of, I'm into really breaking the form. And one of the pot, the, the, the podcast that I've been working on called Marilyn Behind the Icon, which is about the life of Marilyn Monroe. We thought we took a lot of time and how do we tell the story of someone's life in a way that we really, you know, it's never been done before and how to do it differently. And 
because everyone's seen so many movies about Marilyn. So I started off with a narrator and a commentator and a dramatic story. And I didn't hear any dramatic podcast that was doing that. And I thought, well, what, you know, I want to have Gary commenting on the story, which is one of my co-producers and writer, and it's based on his biography of Marilyn, Gary Vitaka Robles. And uh, it's Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, you know, the icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe are the two book, two volume series. So we're taking all of that, that factual information and turning that into a dramatic story with a narrator. And when we started on episode one, I had the narrator starts the story and we have a prologue and we have, you know, Gary come in and introduce the concept. And then we have the drama begins with the narrator and then we get into the characters and, and the actors and the story. And, you know, that to me, and that's how we started episode one. So I'm going to jump all the way to every, and I wanted every episode to be different in terms of its structure and, and how it told the story and basically the form that the episode took itself. So every episode, we changed the form of how the story was told and going back and forth in time, jumping around in time um, and having the two pieces of the two different eras relate to each other through Marilyn's story and her character and her childhood trauma and adult challenges. So putting those things together was, was a, very exciting and a lot of fun and sometimes really, really difficult. Um, but by the time we got to the end of episode seven, I, we, we, did, we did something that I, I said to my editor, I don't know how this is going to work, but let's do it and see what people, how people react to it. And people loved it and they got it. By the end of episode seven, we started the final scene in episode seven where Marilyn's in her apartment and she sits down at the piano and she plays and she goes back in time in her consciousness and remembers periods of her childhood. That scene had no time stamp to the audience. We didn't tell people where they were. We didn't tell them what was going on. We just used the sound and let people figure out where they were, what they were listening to and what was going on. I know that we're all dealing with a lot of stuff these days, so I particularly wanted to acknowledge those that have taken the time to leave honest reviews of this podcast. Thrive After 55 writes, This is a gem of a podcast. Jody is not only an accomplished talent in voiceover and singing, but can now add gracious and welcoming podcast host. Her style of interviewing truly allows room for her guests to shine with interesting and intriguing information. This is a great add to your podcast listening. Thank you, Thrive, for your very kind review. And now back to the show. So how do you sound design something like that? Like, <laughs> it's, You I, really curious. have to look at what people know as familiar sounds. So we had Marilyn drawing the curtains, and people okay. know that sound. And we, oh, she must be, and we hear her walking around the room, and we hear her breathing. So we figure, oh, here's our stories about Marilyn. So this must be Marilyn in her apartment, and you hear her walking and sitting down and starting to plink at the piano and she plays a little tune and she stops and breathes and then she stops and plays another tune and then that that melody takes us back in time and we start to hear moments from that we've already heard on the show that we're replaying an audio but we're playing with the with the echo behind it and she's going through this montage of memories about her childhood her sexual abuse 
her trauma, her childhood abuse, physical abuse, and she's rem remembering all these moments. And it ends with her exasperated and closing the piano, you know, the shutting it down. Sure. And she just, it's all, it's, it's just that. You hear nothing else except the sound, as if you were actually just sitting there watching it happen. Mm -hmm. and, and you're inside of her mind. And there's a lot of times in the, in the episodes that we went inside of Marilyn's mind where you become her. There's a moment in when, when she was young, um, because her mother didn't live with her, she was in a foster home from birth, really. And her mother would come to visit her and she didn't know who this woman was. It was the woman with the red hair. And one time we, Marilyn, Marilyn or Norma Jean was hiding in a closet and her, um, her foster mother and her real mother come to fi find out, you know, where are you, Norma Jean, where are you? And you're, you're sitting next to her in the closet and you hear her, her breathing where she's, she's nervous and, you know, and, you're, and you hear that breathing. So that became prominent on the soundtrack. So you, we become the character. And in, in dramatic storytelling and audio, you can do things like this. And, and, you, and we wanted to keep challenging ourselves and say, what can we do next? What can we do next? Can we use like her footsteps or we use her breathing or we use you know, the memory of what happened as an older person, she's retelling the story. We actually hear the, the, the emotion through the sound and what she's remembering is she's telling someone what happened to her in childhood. So these are all things that you can do to bring up the imagination in how you tell your story and, and, and breaking the form and not telling a narrative story. There's so many, so many of these dramatic podcasts are like, you know, you have a narrator and they go through the whole documentary style. And I thought, I definitely don't want to do that because it's like, it bores the heck out of me and I can't follow <laughs> it. It's too much, too, sure. many, too much information. Yeah. So we did a supplemental podcast, which is called Norma Jean Discovering Truths. And it goes, it's a companion podcast to every dramatic episode where we go, we have a three-way conversation between myself, my two co-producers, Nina Bosky and Gary Bataco Robles, and we talk about every scene in that podcast and the facts and the story behind it. So now you're ready to hear that kind of a conversation, the talk radio kind, and you hear all the things which help you understand what you just heard in the episode, or some people listen to it before. Mm -hmm. and then play the yeah. episode you know well it can inform yeah. what you're going to hear you know? yeah so you can yeah. do in terms of dramatic audio you can do anything you can change the form up you can take people into characters minds you can take them you can move them around in time um so we have scenes that are in <clears throat> our first series that are going to relate to series two that people don't even know yet about about norma jean and how and how Norma Jean became Marilyn Monroe. And that's an amazing story because there's so many things about that journey in her life that people have no idea of what those, what those events actually were. How did she grow beyond the trauma that she had in childhood and be, start to become this amazing actress and amazing performer? Well, there's a real story behind that. And you know what? No movie or TV show has ever told that story. Mm. Well, I think it's time then. Yeah. So those kinds <laughs> of challenges to, to do that, um, where you really get into a person's, you know, um, emotional state and mental state. And a lot of what our podcast is about the subject of mental health, mm. because mm -hmm. Gary is also a mental health professional in, in real life. So we, we, he, his commentating in the episodes is all about from that perspective. 
And we're doing this podcast to be able to help people who are going through similar types of trauma in their lives so they can listen to these episodes and Marilyn becomes a guide or you know, a light for them to be able to understand what's happening to them and realize that people can, you know, there is a, there is a, a path that you can take that'll help you uh, move beyond this trauma in your life and actually become um, you know, a human being that actually is functional in, in, in your own life and in society. So this is some of the, why I like Marilyn's story so much, because she's one of those people who was able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, using a podcast for that, that reason is fantastic. I mean, the medium lends itself so well to a personal communication. Yeah. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time, 